Listen, it really was great uh, last week to have uh, so many new folks with us and to be able to celebrate that new service. I met a ton of people that were here for the first time, and every one of them that I talked to when I said, how'd you hear about it? They said, oh, so-and-so invited me, or this person uh, said, hey, you should come. And so I just want to congratulate you and say thank you for uh, your willingness to invite people. I know that can be uh, challenging and courageous at times, but we really do appreciate it. And, and I think there were some people that, that got to hear some, some about Christ in a way that was encouraging last week. So if you're somebody that's new around here, maybe this is your second week back or it's your first time or you've been around a few months, uh, make sure you look in your program about the Start Here class. We do this every month and it's an opportunity, really a great next step. It's the best next step if you're looking to get your faith kind of moving and kind of understand how we want to help you grow here as a church. So I'd encourage you uh, to take a look at that. But let's dive into uh, this second week of the gospel according to Mark. And I want to begin with this question. And it, it's potentially kind of a hard question. Maybe you'll think it's easy. Maybe you'll think it's hard. I don't know. But I want you to, to reflect on this question for just a moment. How would you summarize the message of Christianity? No hands. No, don't shout it out. But how would you summarize the message of Christianity? Maybe you hear that question, you think, oh, that sounds really easy. I, I know what that is. Maybe you hear it and you go, oh, I, I have no idea. That sounds overwhelming, and there's this big, thick book, and how would I possibly summarize this into a sentence or something like that? Maybe you're a Christian, and you hear a question like that, and you think right away that you kind of have an answer. And I want to just ask, are you, are you sure? Are you sure you're right? It, it, would the way you summarize Christianity be the way that Jesus did? Are you sure? You'll find out today. Maybe you're here not, as a person who is not a Christian, and, and you have some ideas about what you think Christianity is about. You have things you've heard. You have people you've interacted with. You've had experiences that you've had. And probably the culmination of all of that, at least up to this point, has led you to think, yeah, that's why I don't believe it. And my guess would be that if I had walked in your shoes and had the same exact experiences you'd had and heard and saw the things you saw, I'd probably feel the same way as you feel. But the question I want to ask is, are you sure that you've heard the message of Christianity the right way? Are you sure that you're not maybe rejecting something that isn't actually the true message of Christianity? That's the question. What's the true Simple, summarized message of Christianity. That's what we're going to see today. Jesus Christ is going to tell us that today here in Mark chapter 1. Now, we introduced Mark last week. We got started with the book. And what we said is that this is a book written by this guy named Mark. Uh, Mark's mother had a home in Jerusalem that was a prominent home in Jerusalem during the time of Christ and the disciples and the early church. A lot of scholars believe that this uh, house that she had was the house where the first kind of house church in Jerusalem met, probably the place where the Last Supper happened happened. And so Mark was around a lot of eyewitnesses and a lot of people that experienced and saw and heard Jesus with their own ears. And so Mark is writing an eyewitness-driven account about Jesus. And he introduced us to Jesus last week as the, as the beloved Son of God. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And when that happened, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove, and the voice of God the Father boomed out over him, "'This is my beloved Son.'" in whom I'm well pleased. So we got to see Jesus, but today we get to hear from Jesus. I told you last week that these gospel, the reason we have four gospels is it's, it's as if God has given all the gospel writers the same raw footage and said, now I want you to make a documentary 
based on this raw footage. They're not going to include every piece of, of every clip that they have, but they're going to arrange it in a particular way to make certain points. And so today, the filmmaker Mark is showing us the first scene where Jesus speaks. Now, this is significant. When you're giving a portrayal of somebody, the first thing you hear them say is really important. You see this in films all the time. I uh, just recently completed a, a seminary class where one of the assignments was to pick a particular film and do an analysis of it, write a paper about it, that sort of a thing. And so I picked uh, Gran Torino. Ever seen Gran Torino with Clint Eastwood? Great film. Really, really good movie. Um, just some beautiful, redemptive things in that movie. I just absolutely love it. Some really hard to watch and, and tough things in it as well. But, but there's something that I hadn't noticed. I'd only maybe seen it once or twice before. But when I went back and watched it through kind of an analytical lens, one of the things I realized is that the opening scene of the movie, the main character, Walt, is in a church. Uh, and there's a funeral mass. His wife has recently passed away. And this young priest gets up, and he's giving this funeral message, and it's kind of this boilerplate, hallmark card kind of, he doesn't really have much to say. And all throughout it, the, the, the camera is sort of zoomed out at all these different things. But there are a couple moments in this opening scene when the camera zooms in. And it's in the middle of this priest's uh, homily, and at one point he says, what is life? And the camera zooms in. It cuts away, and he keeps talking. And then it, he says, what is death? And it zooms in again. And what you see if you watch Gran Torino is that the themes of life and death run through the whole movie. And it's the director's way, Clint Eastwood in this case, of cluing you in to say, hey, this is an important theme. Pay attention to this, right? It's a, it's a cinematog cinematographic, I don't know if that's the right word, it's a visual way to zoom in and go, this matters, pay attention, life and death. That's the same thing that's happening in this passage that we're going to look at here today, is Mark is zooming the camera in on Jesus. And what Jesus has to say is going to shape and is going to influence everything we see in the rest of this book. He's going to give us here the message of Christianity. Now, he wouldn't have called it Christianity at that point, it was just his message message of Jesus. It became the message of Christianity, and that's what we're going to look at. I'm going to give you a simple, and we're going to kind of unfold it a phrase at a time, a simple summary of the message of Christianity. Here's the first part, is that Christianity is good news. Christianity is good news. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of of God. Now, maybe you've heard the word gospel. It literally means good news. Jesus is proclaiming good news because news is something that is announced. It is heralded. It is proclaimed. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is heralding good news. We talk here a lot. We cover it in every Start Here class that we do. We talk about the difference between advice and news. There's a difference. See, a lot of people think that Christianity and think that life is really like advice, right? Advice is, do this, don't do that, go here, why don't you try, have you thought about? That's how a lot of people think about life and think about Christianity and think about relating to God. It's a bunch of do's, it's a bunch of advice, it's a bunch of things you ought to try. The message of Christianity is news, not advice. News is something that happened, right? Now, our vision of news is distorted because 
news for us, right, on cable TV is like, is this entertainment? Is this news? Did he or didn't he fly in that helicopter? Uh, I don't know what happened, right? Like, it, it, we, it's hard to trust the, that the news really happened. But if you get to the core idea of what news is, news is not advice saying, hey, you ought to try. News is, here's something that happened. Think of it this way. Car commercials are advice, right? You watch a car commercial, and they're saying, you should buy this car. Look at this luxurious leather. You should have this truck. You could, you could tow a house up a mountain. Haven't you always wanted to do that? You're watching this, and you're going, it's beautiful, and what a mountainous turn. If I had that car, I'd probably be driving through the mountains or in the <laughs> desert or somewhere not here in my lousy life. I should, <laughs> I should go buy a car, right? It's advice. News is when you show up on The Price is Right, and you hear, used to be Bob Barker, now it's Drew Carey, you hear the thing that everyone on The Price is Right wants to hear. A new car, right? And the curtain opens and you, you know, jump around like a maniac. And, right? Why do you do that? Because in that moment, you have not gotten advice. Hey, you ought to spend you know, ridiculous amounts of money and buy this car. You've gotten news. Something happened. The gospel is news. That's why Jesus proclaims it. That's why he announces it and heralds it. Now get this. The default setting for all of us is advice. We come into the world imagining that if you're a religious person, you think the way I get to God, the way I can have a relationship with God is by doing. I got to be religious. I got to go to church. I got to confess sins. I got I to get involved. I got to give. I got to serve, right? It's, it's do, do, do. It's all this advice. If you're an irreligious person, you still come into the world thinking that that's how you're supposed to achieve your identity, I'm going to achieve my identity by being smart and working hard and getting a good job and providing for my family and doing fun things. You build your identity still on your performance, whether you're religious or irreligious. Advice, achievement, doing is the default mode of your heart. There's a website that I go to for work, just some stuff that, that I have to do from time to time, and it's so annoying because every time I log in, there's a little box there that I, that I check, and I, I put, in my, you know, put in my name, put in my password, and I check the box, and the box says, keep me logged in, and I check it every time, and I log in, and then the next day, I go back to it, and the thing pops up again, and I got to log in again. It doesn't keep me logged in. It's like, why do you, don't offer me that button if you're not going to be able to deliver. Here's the thing. You wake up every morning, even if you're a follower of Christ who's embraced the good news of Jesus, you wake up and the login screen is back. You've forgotten that Christianity is news and you have to remember it's advice. Or you think it's advice. You go, no, 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 it's news. Check the box, it's news. And then you wake up the next day and you reprogram to think it's advice. Which is why we need to remember all the time that the message of Christianity is news. It's about something that's happened. Okay? Well, what's happened? What's the news? If Christianity is good news, well, of what? Here you go. Christianity is good news of God's kingdom. Good news of God's kingdom. Here's what Jesus says in verse 15. He's proclaiming the gospel of God, saying... The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. 
The time, the season, the thing that everyone has been waiting for is now here. It's fulfilled. It's complete. The time has come. And the kingdom of God is at hand. This word at hand uh, doesn't mean that it's, it's coming soon. It, like, like in a time sense, it means it's close by. It's nearby. You can almost touch it. It's breaking in. It's almost here. The good news of God's kingdom. Now, this is hard for us to understand uh, because we live in a, a de- democracy. We live in a republic. We don't have a king. We don't have a kingdom that we're part of. Kingdom thinking is just not really how we think. And it's definitely not uh, anywhere close to what the, the people who experienced Jesus' ministry would have thought. They would have thought a lot about and known a lot about the idea of a kingdom, and especially the kingdom of God. This is foreign to us, but to Jesus' listeners, the kingdom of God was a front of mind, top of mind issue. They thought about it a lot. So what does this mean, that, that, that Christianity is good news of God's kingdom? Well, we have here the beginning of Jesus' teaching, but Jesus is in referencing the kingdom of God. He's pointing back actually all the way to the, to the beginning of the Bible's teaching. And so if we want to understand what he's saying, we've got to kind of go back there. We've got to get inside the, the minds and hearts of these first century people that would have been hearing him. And so in the beginning, if you've been around, you've heard me talk about this before. In the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. He created all these environments, and then he filled them with with animals and plants and creatures. The pinnacle of his creation was creating man and woman in his image. And this, God thought, was good. And in that moment, every relationship that humanity had was perfect right? Their relationship with God. God was walking with them in the cool of the day. They could talk with Him without fear. They were comfortable in their own skin, right? It says in Genesis 2 that the husband and wife were naked and felt no shame, right? Everything about them was exposed, and they were okay with it. There was nothing to hide. There was nothing to fear. The relationship between man and wife is going well. The relationship between humanity and the creation is great. They're working the ground. They're keeping it. They're enjoying the garden. And then in Genesis 3, we see something significant happen, something terrible happen. And what happens in Genesis 3 is really the undoing or the rejection of God's kingdom, right? Think about it. Creation is God's kingdom. People are living with God as king. Everything is as it's meant to be. And in Genesis 3, the serpent comes along, the evil one, Satan, and he comes and he tempts Adam and Eve. And the heart of his temptation, the core of that message is, you can't trust God. God's holding out on you. Sinclair Ferguson is a great Scottish minister, and uh, Sinclair tells the story like this. He says, here's basically the essence of the serpent's temptation. Imagine that as a parent or grandparent, you take your kids to Disneyland. You're walking around Disneyland, and you're showing them, oh, there's the beautiful castle, and oh, see, there's Mickey over there, right there, that's the best churro you're ever going to eat. And look at this ride, and look at this tree, and just look around. Kids, look at all this. Do you see all this? Doesn't this look fun? Yeah! All right, we're going home. What kind of a parent would do that? Right? How deeply would you scar your children 
if you did that. Hey, come take a look. No, 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 you can't take a picture with Mickey. Get back here, right? If you let them see all of it and then said, no, it's not for you. Essentially, that's what Satan was saying God was like. Yeah, 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 he's created this garden for you. But listen, you can't trust him. He doesn't really want you to have it. There's actually something better. Don't you know that you could be even more like God? God's holding out on you. You can't trust Him. And so Adam and Eve reject God's kingdom. They put on their own little crown. They do what they want as tempted by Satan. They say, I can't trust Him. I'm going to trust myself. And as a result, all the relationships that were good in creation are now broken. The relationship with God is broken. God's looking for them. They're hiding, right? Before, it was just comfortable. Instead, now they're hiding in Genesis chapter 3. They're hiding from themselves even. They have fig leaves now to cover up. Before, they were naked and unashamed, and now they're afraid because there's shame, and there's guilt, and there's embarrassment. Their relationship with themselves is broken. The relationship with each other is broken as Adam is blaming Eve, and she's blaming back, and there's tension. The relationship with the creation is broken as now work becomes difficult, and there's thorns. That's the result of rejecting God's kingdom. And so listen, when Jesus comes and says, I have good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. What he's saying is God has broken into history and God is doing what it takes to restore his kingdom back to the way it was. That's the good news that Jesus is proclaiming. This good news is going to fix all of these relationships. And the, the, the Jews who are listening, they would have been anticipating this. The rest of the Old Testament Scripture provides prophecies and provides visions and provides pictures and provides examples of what happens when the kingdom of God is here. And when that happens, you see that man's relationship with creation is good. There's still work and it's fulfilling. There's technology in advance, but without all the problems that come with it. There's relationship and kindness between people. There's humility. There's servanthood. There's, hey, you go first. There's joy. The relationship even just that we have with ourselves, the picture of the kingdom of God is that we're comfortable in our own skin. You know, that's one of my biggest prayers for my kids. God, help them just to be comfortable in their own skin. Help them to be comfortable the way you've made them. And the reality is that won't fully be felt until the kingdom of God comes near and sin is done away with. And most of all, their relationship with God's restored. That's the, the, the invitation that Jesus is bringing with the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God is here, you can relate to God, which means you don't have fear that he's just going to squash you because of your rejection of him. You don't have shame and guilt and embarrassment to be near God. And not only do you not have that bad stuff, but you do have great stuff like joy, right? The Psalms in Psalm 16 says, in God's presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. You get a, a taste, you get invited in in God's kingdom to true beauty, 
You know, there's all these things in our lives that we enjoy, not because they're useful, but because they're beautiful. You ever listen to a great song, you know, and, and it just sort of sends you, right, and you're rocking out in your car and you're, or in your shower or wherever you feel comfortable, and you just, you listen to it, and it's not useful for anything. It's just, it's just beautiful. It just captures you. You ever go somewhere like Sedona or the Grand Canyon or the Rockies or the ocean, and you just look out and you go, this is beautiful. You ever walk outside on a night, and especially in this part of town where it's, you know, the lights are dim and you can look up at the sky and you can see the stars and you go, wow. You ever listen to a baby laugh? That's the greatest sound in the world. Listen, none of those things are useful. They're all just beautiful. And why is it that those are the moments that we love? Those are the moments that capture us. Those are the moments that grip us. Because what they are is just a little taste of what life is like with God, in whose presence is fullness of joy. So when Jesus Christ comes and says, good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's close by. That's what he's inviting us into. Now this raises a couple questions. The first question is, why is it that Jesus can offer this? What is it about Jesus that makes it where he can say, hey, this is really the case, and why can we believe him? Well, in the story that we read just a moment ago, and Mark's account of it is very short, it's much shorter than Matthew and Luke, uh, he talks about this same moment when Jesus goes out to be tempted by Satan. So Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan saying, hey, you can't trust him. He's holding out. Establish your own kingdom. And without going into the whole story in Matthew and Luke, you can read those stories if you want to. That's the same temptation that Jesus experiences. Jesus, who's sinless, just like Adam, goes head to head with Satan in the wilderness for 40 days, it says in verses 12 and 13. And what is he doing that whole time? He's hearing Satan say, you can't trust him. Go your own way. And where Adam failed the test, Jesus passes it. Jesus becomes the second Adam who passes, who succeeds where the first Adam failed. Therefore, Jesus is uniquely qualified to be able to say, the kingdom of God is at hand. The rule of God, the reign of God is back. It's coming. Well, that leads us to the second question. Why is it that Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't say the kingdom of God is here? Instead, he says the kingdom of God is near. Why isn't it here? Why, why is it only near? Well, the reality is that Jesus is on the scene, the kingdom is drawing near, but something still has to happen. Just the arrival of Jesus, even the arrival of Jesus conquering Satan, resisting his temptations, that's still not enough to fully begin and usher in the kingdom. He still needs to do what only a sinless Savior can do, which is go to the cross, die for the sins of everyone who's rejected God's kingdom, be treated as though he had rejected God's kingdom so that we could be welcomed back into the kingdom. 
and then rise again victoriously over Satan, sin, and death. So picture this. Jesus is saying the kingdom, the kingdom of God, it's like a, it's like a sunrise. It's, it's just, you, you can't see the sun yet, but it's coming. It's here. It's close. That's the message of Christianity, good news of God's kingdom. And finally, it demands a response. This good news demands a response. Right, when you hear news like this, you have to respond in some way. Maybe you don't like it. Maybe you hear this and you go, that doesn't sound like good news to me. I don't want to live under the reign and the rule of God. I don't trust God. Right, at which point you would respond and go, no, I don't want that. Right, this is like on The Price is Right. When they don't say a new car, they say, hey, lifetime supply of Tide detergent. Cool, right? You're like, I don't want that. But when they say, a new car, right, you jump up and down. It demands a response. This is news that we can't just go, hmm, okay, that's interesting. We need to respond. Well, what's the response that Jesus demands? Here it is, verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in this good news. Jesus tells us two things here, repent and believe. And listen, these are two sides of the same coin. These things go together, they're always connected, and, and, and the thing that unites them is that they both have to do with trust. Get this, in creation, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were trusting God. When they believed the temptation of Satan who said, you can't trust God, they believed that. They said, we don't want him anymore. And so how do you begin to experience the kingdom of, of, again? Even when the advice screen pops back up and you click the, no, I want the good news, how, how do you do the good news? How do you get into that site? By repenting and believing. Why would God set it up that way? Because both of those have to do with trust. And trust is the centerpiece of every great relationship. Every great relationship is built on trust. Every weak relationship doesn't have much trust. And repentance, what that is, is saying, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to stop trusting me. I'm going to have a change of mind. Rather than believing that I can do better away from God, I'm going I'm to tr- I'm, I'm turn from that thinking, and I'm going to turn towards trusting God. I'm going to believe Him. Right? And that's what this word believe is. It isn't just sort of mental agreement. Right? If that's all belief meant, listen, the, the demons believe, but they don't trust. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I don't have advice. If you want advice, go to the Pharisees, go to religion. I came with news, and the news is God's kingdom is close by. So here's what you need to do. Stop trusting yourself. Start trusting God. This happens by trust. Now here's what's interesting. These words, repent and believe, are both present tense words here. So Jesus is not just saying, one time and one time only, repent and believe. What he's saying is, live a life of constant repentance, constant turning away from trusting yourself and turning toward trusting God. What he's saying is, listen, every day you're going to log into life. And every day the advice screen is going to pop up again. And you're going to try to log in to the good news. And you're going to hit the button, and, and then the next day you're going to forget it again. 
So don't stop trusting in God. Don't stop dismissing your trust in yourself. Keep going with that. That's commanded by this, right? Repent, keep repenting, keep believing. It's also what we need because of that default mode. And so I want to I want to just share something with you that I've found per- tremendously helpful, and a number of people have told me that this is helpful over the years. Um, I want to I describe to you why, why you need, this is now for those of you who consider yourself Christians, why you need to keep repenting and believing. Why this is not just a message for the, the non-Christian to embrace faith. This is why you as a follower of Christ who have turned away from your sin and trusted God, here's why you need to keep doing that. All right? Here's the first, uh, first picture of this, is what happens before anyone becomes a a, a Christian is they realize there's a gap. This is the gap where they realize, I have rejected God's kingdom. How do they know that? Well, they go, well, God is perfect. He's way up here, and I'm not. I'm down here. And as a result of this gap, I feel embarrassment and guilt and shame. My relationships are a mess. I don't have a, a closeness to God. I feel this gap. And the good news comes says God's kingdom has come near. Not just come near, but it's been initiated in its, it, the beginning of its fullness in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And so the cross comes and says, Jesus Christ has bridged the gap for you. Jesus Christ has paid the, the punishment that you should get because you rejected the kingdom. And Jesus Christ has, has earned it where you have now a ticket into God's kingdom, into God's family. So the cross comes and covers that gap. But here's what happens. The longer you follow Christ, you realize something. You realize that you thought God was this holy and you were this sinful, but instead God is this perfect and you're this sinful. The gap gets bigger, not because God got more perfect or even because you got more sinful. It's just your, your awareness of it grows. Right? At, at, at the beginning, when that, when that cross fills that little gap, you, you're, you're turning away from all the stuff that you see as big things, outward things, behavioral things, things you say that you shouldn't say, all this big kind of obvious stuff to you. Over time, you realize God wants even your attitude and your heart, your motives to be trusting him. And you realize they don't. But here's the sad thing. For a lot of Christians, they think that repent and believe is just how you start your relationship with God, and then what you need is a lot of advice. I'll start with that, but, but I, I need advice from here. So their view of the cross stays the same size, right? It doesn't get any bigger. And as a result, there's still this gap. And you have all these people who are Christians who are saying, I repented and I believe, but now I'm living by advice. And as a result, when I'm doing well, I feel really good. Like, I I almost hurt my arm trying to pat myself on the back. I feel so good. Right? I come in when when I'm doing well, when I've read my Bible, and I've been to church three weeks in a row, and it's like, I am here, yes. And I come, and I sing, and I feel great. How was church? Awesome. But when I don't meet up that standard, I can't remember the last time I prayed. And I did that secret sin again. When I blew it on all the advice. If I even feel up to coming to church. A lot of times I just go, I'm just going to sleep in. 
I got some stuff around the house to do. I don't feel like going. Why? Because you've based your relationship with God on your performance, on your ability to keep the advice, not on the news. And so you fall short and you hang your head and you feel guilty and you feel embarrassment and you feel all these things. You forgot the news. And so our awareness of the cross has to grow with our awareness of God's perfection and of our imperfection. This is why we keep proclaiming the good news. This is why Jesus says you need to keep repenting and keep believing because trust is what God's after. God is not after perfect performance. He's after real trust. You go, I don't know if I trust enough. The, the amount of your trust isn't the issue. It's the object of your trust. Will you trust that the kingdom of God coming near is enough for you? That Jesus Christ has done what you could not do for yourself? Trust that. Keep trusting that. Don't ever stop trusting that. Christianity is good news of God's kingdom that demands a response. Do you trust Him? Will you trust him? If you're not yet a follower of Christ, will you trust him? Will you acknowledge that the reason your life and your world seem so broken is because it is, because of sin, and not just sin out there, sin in here? And will you say, God, I'm going to stop trusting myself. I'm going to start trusting what Jesus has done. If you're a Christian, will you trust him? When the, when the screen comes up that tempts you to log in with advice, will you remember the news? Will you stop trusting in yourself and remember again that the kingdom of God has come near to give you what you could never give yourself? Will you trust him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son to bring this kingdom. God, we want to respond with, with trust, with faith, with repentance. We want to turn away from trusting ourselves and turn toward trusting you. God, would you give us the grace to do that? Would you fill our hearts with joy that everything that needed to happen was finished on the cross, that Jesus Christ has brought the kingdom. We pray in his name. Amen.